Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is the trick to reading a book every week. We're also going to be looking at five characteristics of a successful growing entrepreneur. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Jordan Jensen from BU Coaching, talking about uh, dealing with staff turnover. Good afternoon, Jordan. Hey, Julian. How are you? I'm good, thank you, and thanks for joining us today. So so why do you see staff turnover as a problem in the workplace today? So there's a couple of different factors which answer that question. One being the obvious one, it costs companies $3.8 billion each year in Australia due to the direct cost of staff turnover being having to source new employees, having to train those employees. Mm. But then you can start to look at the intangible side of that as well, of what sort of impact is this having on my customers, having to start to see new staff coming through and having to develop a new relationship with those staff. And, and of course, spending a, time on training, I suppose, too. Yeah, there's a lot of time spent on training, and then there's also, well, what is that doing to your workplace culture, having new people come in and out all the time? You're not, you know, allowing that consistency in that family environment in the company where each employee feels connected to the other. Mm. So, so why do you think it's causing a problem? Or what do you think is causing this problem? So Australia has a really interesting work worker culture. And staff engagement is a really big indicator of workplace employment, um, workplace performance. And in Australia, we have a 76% disengagement of our employees, meaning that 76% of the staff who come into work aren't really engaged with what they're doing. They're not invested at an emotional or a personal level. For them, it's more of, you know, going in to get their paycheck. They don't, you know, they're not invested in the company. They're not invested in what they're doing. They don't. <laughs> have that typical Australian apathy where they don't really care what they're doing. And mm. the differences here become quite astounding where companies who have a higher proportion of engaged employees tend to outperform those who don't by up to 202%. Wow. That's a big, big, big percentage. <laughs> it's a big percentage. But unfortunately, it's a minority of businesses who are aware of that and really value their staff as you know long-term components of their business. Yeah, and that, that statistic has been around quite a long time, um, probably at least 20 years to my knowledge, that about 80% of people in uh, the workplace are, are, are disengaged. Yeah, it's interesting. That statistic hasn't changed in the last 10 years. Mm. So it seems like the traditional approach isn't working at all. So what are some of the things that a business owner can do to change the culture in their workplace? So there's some really interesting research coming out of the States with Dr. Martin Seligman, who's looking into positive psychology, which is the psychology of human engagement and human thriving, and how you know to get optimum performance out of yourself and others. And a lot of what that comes down to is getting an emotional engagement from your staff. Mm-hmm. The you know typical approach to, well, how do I get better staff is, you know, raise, raise what you pay them, give them more benefits. But now we're finding that that's not an effective way to engage people. That You don't do things because it's logical. You do things because you feel like you want to. So really important things businesses can start doing is getting to know their staff members more and getting to know 
the individual desires. What can the workplace do to make them enjoy their work? How can it move their personal lives forward? Something we incorporated a lot into our hiring process was, okay, this business is a tool for your development. So in looking at it like that, how can we help you? Mm. So, so is it very much a question of finding what what their likes and dislikes are, what their motivation is? Exactly, getting to that deeper level motivation because money it's a very it's a very surface level motivation. It's you know it'll get you your rent, it'll get you your food, but beneath that, what does this person actually want? Mm. And when you can find that, and when you can help use their work and use your business to help a staff member do that. You've got them buying in a lot more than you have somebody who's just paying consistent income to. There's a, a, a podcast I was listening to the other day that was talking about get rid of the terminology of uh, of certainly staff, and we we moved to using terminology of teams. But they're now saying get rid of that terminology and now call them family. How, how do you <laughs> feel about that? I mean, it's a bit corny, but. It does go to the heart of the issue where you're looking at them as staff or teams. They tend to be, it's hard to see them as people. Whereas when you start treating your staff members as somebody who you really want to connect with and you're going to, you know, like your family, have them with you for an extended period of time, you're going to start putting more investment into that relationship with them and you're going to start caring more. And at the bottom line, it's caring about your staff, which is going to help them to care about you and your business and what they're doing. So you've worked with a number of companies, I know, and uh, uh, do you find that you know that seventy six percent of disengagement is a result of the of the uh, management team or the or the owner of the business not really focusing in on finding those inform- that information about their uh, family members or team members? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to it's just lack of education and awareness yeah. with. Your typical business owner, they always tend to be so busy and, you know, connecting with their staff and discovering what their motivations are. It's just another thing on the to-do list, so it's so easy to push it aside. Because I I know for me, before I moved into this field, it was quite difficult for me to go and know how to have those conversations with staff and know how to develop a deeper relationship with them and cross Mm. that kind of boss-staff member uh, wall. So what can definitely be done is just start practicing that, start prioritizing your staff hire. It's so easy to get distracted in the day-to-day as a business owner because, you know, all those fires start coming up. But once you have staff who want to be there and once you have staff who are committed to the company and what they're doing because they care more about it, you're going to notice that those fires start happening less because your staff are more proactive. Mm. When they care more, they're going to do more and they're going to go above and beyond you're not going to have to be there driving them because they'll start driving to drive themselves because you know, they want to. Do you think one of the important things is there's been probably a lack of communication, particularly about the vision and the direction of a company? Absolutely. One of the most important things I ever request business owners do is get very clear on what sort of impact they want their company to have. And the more people connect with that, the easier it is to go and get them on board, the easier it's going to be to get that emotional engagement. Because if you don't, if your business is just in it, you know, to for the money, it's 
going to be very hard to get people invested in that vision. Mm, And the ones who are, they're not going to stick around because they're just chasing the money. Yeah, great. Well, thanks very much for your chat today, uh, Jordan. We'll have a chat with you again another time. Sounds good, Julian. Thanks for having me in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jordan Jensen there from BU Coaching, dealing with staff turnover. Yeah, it was an interesting podcast that I listened to the other day that talked about start thinking about your uh, team members as a family rather than team members. And uh, Christina is not with us today because she's winging her way over to America. So she'll be back a couple of weeks' time with some good, interesting news from an exciting conference she's going to over there. But I picked an interesting subject that aligns with the subject that she normally talks about. And I found some good comments on the Internet. So this is uh, five characteristics of a growing entrepreneur. Because they say that entrepreneurs are a rare breed, that if everyone could be one, then everyone would be one. And I understand why people would believe this to be true, but I believe that entrepreneurship can actually be taught instead of just inherited like a magic gene or or something else is equally cosmic. But there are five characteristics that stand out in most growing entrepreneurs. The first one is optimism. There seems to be an overwhelming sense of optimism in the entrepreneur. They believe that the impossible may, in fact, be possible. They believe that problems only exist because they haven't been solved yet and that they're on their way. They keep their head up high despite the long hours and the tough time and stay positive even through the worst of times. They don't disregard reality and they see the existing challenges with 2020 vision. But they choose to move forward instead of letting those challenges stop them. So optimism is the first one. The second one is discipline. Let's be honest, discipline is very hard. It's hard for everyone. Some appear to have a better time with it than others. But that's because it's some part that they've worked hard to create those systems over time and are so good at keeping them that now it's just fluid. Discipline for the entrepreneur isn't a one-size-fits-all type model. They simply do three things really, really well. First of all, they avoid distractions, whatever they may be. Secondly, they meet or exceed deadlines. And thirdly, they create boundaries that work for their health and sanity. The fourth point, sorry, the third point is communication. The most popular entrepreneurs are the ones that we laud, respect and attempt to copy are generally very good public communicators. This is more about their stage presence than anything else. And it doesn't mean that they're more successful entrepreneurs than others. They're simply better public communicators. But all successful entrepreneurs are good at communicating simply because they have to be able to communicate not just their idea, but how and why this idea is worth anyone else's attention. Whether it's a crowded room of angel or venture capitalists, or whether it's to their small creative team or a few quantity in less of a factor. Fourthly, confidence. They're confident that the problem that they're tackling and the solution they're creating is one that is worth not just their time, but other people's time as well. Not just for their future customer or clients, but also the team of people that they are working with and they are helping build it. Successful entrepreneurs have a quiet and deep level of self-confidence, even if they are and can be anxious about the future. The reality is that building a startup is really tough 
work, uh, but facing the daily challenges of leading a growing organisation has less to do with their level of confidence and more about their ability to execute the functional needs of the personnel and business. And finally, the, the fifth point is that they're a team player. Among the top characteristics of successful entrepreneurs is the fact that they aren't solo acts. They may start out that way, but anything worth doing, and that may eventually change the course of human history, is done in the context of a team and not just one individual. Just think of all the major inventions or applications or organisations that you respect today. They're built by teams of people, a group of entrepreneurs that came together to do great things corporately. This isn't just about one person sitting at his desk, hiding behind his blog and tweeting and building a small web app, although they may be financially successful, but it's rather seeking to do much greater work than padding their personal bank account. And so the uh, growing entrepreneur is the one that puts their life and soul into their business with passion. So some interesting comments I thought we would share with you today. Five characteristics of a growing entrepreneur. We may have a look for a couple more for next week. We've got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This uh, first one is the trick to reading a book a week. Reading non-fiction books is one of the best ways to stay engaged with the newest thinking in your field. But how can you find the time for reading it in your schedule is already overloaded? Understand that you don't need to read a non-fiction book cover to cover. To learn from it, you can actually absorb just as much if you approach it in a different way. Start with the author bio to get some sense of the person's uh, bias and perspective. Read the title, the subtitle, the front flap, and the table of contents. Watch the big picture argument. Read the introduction and the conclusion word for word, but quickly. Then skim each chapter. End with the table of contents to summarize the main points in your head. And when you're actively engaging with the material in this way, your mind is more alert and able to retain a great deal of the information. So that's a great way of reading a book. And they do say that if we keep reading a book on a similar subject within three years, we become an expert on that subject. So that's a great way of doing it. And there are some uh, organisations out there that actually put together book reviews with uh, a book um, paraphrased into about uh, four or five pages, which is another great way of reading that book. We've got time for one more uh, Harvard Business Review tip. This one, build a passionate company. To build a great business, companies need a purpose, one that transcends the traditional bottom line. People want to be passionate about their work and they want to be surrounded by others who feel the same. But how can managers actually foster passion? Well, here are five ways. First of all, let people show their emotions. If you ask your people to check their emotions at the door, you can't tap into their passion. Secondly, hire passionate people. One way to get passionate people into your organisation is to uh, uh, insensitise current employees to refer people that they want to work with. Thirdly, fan the flames. Find plenty of ways to celebrate joint accomplishments. Fourth, don't stifle your rock stars. Give your people the autonomy to do the work that interests them the most. And finally, share context. Connect job functions to the organisation's broader mission and remind people why they do what they do. 
which fits in quite nicely with uh, what we spoke about with uh, Jordan just now, isn't it? Uh, how many businesses that do actually share their their visions with their employees? And the, we've talked before with uh, various people on the program about hiring passionate people. Um, a great way of getting your business on focus. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've uh, looked at uh, dealing with staff turnover with Jordan Jensen and those five characteristics of a successful entrepreneur. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to look at the increasing frequent prosecutions by the Fair Work Ombudsman with Greg Kerr from the Effective Workplace. And we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as T.S. Eliot once said, only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.